Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I get to interview our guests all by myself. And our lovely guest today is Megan, no, Megan, Megan Dredge. Hey, I'm here. Look, I'll answer to Megan. The Aussie way is Megan, but either is fine. (laughs) Well, uh, we'll see how many times I do that. And uh, (laughs) now anytime Daniel mentions one of his books, I always ding him. So you can ding me if I, if I get it wrong. Permission to ding granted. Absolutely. So um, what you need to know about her is uh, she is, I'm going to use a baseball term here, um, which which you may or may not know. You probably don't know, but we could go either one of two ways. A utility player, which people think doesn't sound like a good player to have on your team, but they're a very good player to have on your team because they can do just about anything well. Anything you need done, this person can do. So they can hit well. But they can also, uh, you know, cover just about any position. And, and <laughs> okay. that is something that I have learned about you. Um, you are the global leadership coach for Propel. Um, and so, uh, Propel, tell us a little bit about Propel before I, I talk about some of your other exploits. Okay, well, uh, just before I do that, I'm glad that the baseball thing is a metaphor because me and any kind of sport that involves a ball-type object, we've never been friends. So um, I'm really glad that that's a metaphor today. Yes, I am uh, officially the global leadership coach for Propel Women, which is an organisation started by the incredible Christine Kane. You may be familiar with her. I know she's been – I reckon she's like a regular guest on She totally is. And uh, you may be familiar with her amazing work globally with A21, the anti-trafficking organization. And um, a few years ago, she started Propel, which basically exists to activate women in leadership and to release them into their passion, purpose and potential. So right now we are in 68 nations globally and uh, I have the privilege of training all of the leaders. We're almost at 5,000 leaders globally. Now, these numbers change. Like when you're listening to this, it will be more, I promise you. But right (laughs) now um, I have the privilege of training uh, all of those leaders globally in 68 nations. So it's all about helping them to be a leader wherever they are, in whatever sphere they're in, in whatever space they find themselves. And um, yeah, it's my incredible honor to be part of the team in that way. You know, one of the things that, um, uh, of course, drew me to uh, Nick and Christine um, were just their work, not only with A21, but their work in leadership. So when I think of Propel and leadership, it's unique in women's leadership in that it's not just speaking to what traditionally in Christian circles we would think of women in leadership. This is speaking both inside, but especially outside the church, um, where they're able to lead in, you know, business and their communities and all these things. So they're they're helping women have a Christ-centered leadership. Um, I'm sorry, Christ-centered biblical worldview, and also uh, uh, lead out of that. So that's one of the things I really appreciate about um, your organization and what they're doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just helping. Obviously, I'm female and my role here is in the female space. And I, I think it it's certainly helping people understand that you don't have to be in a particular ministry. You don't have to be in a particular church. In fact, you we're called to be salt and light, right? And so wherever salt is makes a difference. Try having a coffee with two salts and you'll know the presence <laughs> of salt. And so um, I think, you know, part of the mandate on Christine and Nick's life and certainly on A21 and Propel is what you've just described. And that is to empower people in whatever sphere they find themselves working in, you know, like you might be a doctor, you might be a lawyer, you might be in the education space, but all of that is a clever design for actually being on mission for the purpose of God. And um, yeah, definitely something that's on their life and definitely something that it's a privilege to be part of. Well, um, I know that uh, I think this is going to be a fun conversation because your background is both in education as well as uh, leadership development in business as well. So I think this should be a good, good conversation. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get us started with our first question, and that is, who are you currently learning from? Thank you so much. Yeah. So look, I, I mean, what springs to mind firstly is Chris. Um, she's a, a very close friend of mine and my husband Rowan and I have had the privilege of doing life with them for longer than we've been married, which is 22, 23 years respectively. So um, I definitely feel that I, I learned from her and I think there's lots of things I learned from her, certainly her writing, certainly her speaking, um, but I have the privilege of learning from her as a person. And one of the things I love about Chris is that she's the same whether you're speaking to her one-on-one or whether you're listening to her speak. And I think that level of authenticity is really important to me. And I think as a leader, we've got to have this this space where we can be authentic. And, you know, people say, you know, you should be the same on and off the stage. And I think there is a lot of truth in that. And to be able to work alongside and serve alongside a friend and also a person with great vision is something that I love to do. Um, in the, I'm a, I'm a mum. So as I said, I've been married 22 years and I've got two small children, an eight year old and a six year old. And, um, in the parenting space, I'm sure there's parents listening to this right now. I'm loving, um, a lady called Sarah Chana Radcliffe. And she, uh, has, she has a podcast. She has a, a small presence on social media. She's got a book, but she is in this parenting space. And I just love the wisdom with which she talks about being a great parent and talks about um, she's very big on how to use your voice as a parent and how your facial expressions, things maybe we might overlook as parents, um, how some of these small things can make a big impact. So uh, that's someone I'm learning from in the parenting space. Uh, And I've got two more thoughts running around my head. Is it okay? I've got two more here. These are people you may, I mean, you've heard of Chris, but these are other people you may not have heard of. There's a great Aussie guy called Joe Duncan. And uh, he is on Instagram. Check him out. His handle is called Before 5 a.m. And uh, this is going to resonate probably with all of the morning people. Right now it's 7 a.m. here. So I'm like in the zone. I'm a morning person. Um, But he's all about getting stuff done before 5 a.m. And um, at least getting up before 5 a.m. And he's just just a great guy and uh, he's got great strategies for, for people. I don't know if you're a night person, maybe you aspire to be a morning.
morning person. Um, and then the last person is a personal friend, and her name's Pina, Jessapina Gatti. She's Carabresi. Ciao, come stai to all my Italian friends. I speak a bit of Italian. It's one of my greatest passions, all things Italian, especially the food and the coffee. Yes. Hello. Um, but um, I've recently restarted running, and I think as a leader it's good to have spiritual health, it's good to have mental health, and I think it's really important, something perhaps we overlook, is to have physical health. And so I've recently restarted running, and Pina uh, many years ago was the person who taught me to run. And um, she's now coaching me virtually, sending me messages when I tell her my time and how quickly I ran the mile and how many minutes it took me. And and um, I love how she will always take something in the natural and apply it to leadership. And I'm certainly learning about leadership. And I think it's a great thing as a leader to not compartmentalize everything, that running could actually be a leadership lesson. There could be something right. in there like endurance and making progress. And um, just to close that thought, the most recent leadership lesson I've learned from running is um, something my dad taught me. And my dad always said, you know, it's not good to have goals, shock horror. And he would always follow that up to have milestones. And that's something I've learned with running, that to, to have a milestone, to have something that I'm going to reach because goals can seem final and finite, but milestones are things that you can work towards and then all of a sudden you've actually surpassed them ready for the next milestone. So I love the progress associated with milestones. So, yeah, thanks to Peen and thanks to my dad. You know, I was uh, – I was- talking to one of our guys um, just a couple of days ago and I said I, I want to start referring um, to MVP as minimum viable progress so that whenever <laughs> we gather leaders together and we're coaching them on leadership pipeline or leading change or whatever what are we going to do in that coaching day like what promises can we deliver on that you are going to progress in this because nobody needs more theory um, right. People actually need to, you know, set some milestones and set some progress goals uh, and make sure that they're they're at least getting they're moving. And so, you know, I'm sure that's a big part of running is just getting up and just doing it. I mean, yeah, for the most part. and figuring out, I think, you know, the, the running isn't an example. And I think in all areas of leadership, figuring out what your currency is, you know, for some people, their, their currency is time for some people, their currency is getting stuff done for some people there, you know, what, and by currency, I mean, you know, what is it that's motivating you? What is it that inspires you to be a better leader and to be, um, that kind of most valuable person or that most valuable contributor for want of a better word. And um, I know myself pretty well, and I know that's a lifelong journey, but right now, this far in my life, and, um, you know, I, I am motivated by lists and getting stuff done and milestones. So for me, it'll be even faster. I'll shave a few seconds off and that milestone will be passed. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. it reminds me of um, uh, oh, the other day, Some we were talking about Shackleton, and then it reminded me of, not of Shackleton, but... Um, uh, um, I can't say their names. I'll ruin them. But uh, Edmund, Edmondson and Falcon Scott and their contrasting journeys to, yeah. you know, go to the South Pole. And it was, um, 
Amundsen, Amundsen, something like that, that it's yeah. Collins. It's from Collins, you know, great by choice, <laughs> I think. Um, right. But it was the 20 mile march. So the guy that ended up getting there wasn't the guy that, you know, traversed the most ground and the most, you know, one day or the next day. It was, we are going to march 20 miles every day, no matter the conditions, no matter how cold it is, no matter how great it is. If it's great and we get there by lunch, then we're going to just rest the rest of the day. But the 20 mile march was all about achieving goals with consistency yeah. uh, and having those, you know, those uh, milestones. So what are some things that you learned from the education space uh, that would be good to apply in, in the church space? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. And and for, for those listening, my, my, I suppose, professional life started off as a, a elementary school teacher. And uh, my mum was the reason I became a teacher. I grew up going along to school with her in the school holidays. My, my sister and I went to a private school and my mum at the time was teaching in a, a, a local public school. And so we would have extra holidays being in a private school. And so in those spare weeks back in the day, my mum would take us along to school with her. And it was in those times where I saw the enthusiasm and the passion of my mum for her craft that inspired me. Hey, I reckon I could do that. I, I would love to be a teacher. I would love the the opportunity to um, influence young lives. And I suppose that that's probably the first part of my answer to your question. And that is, you know, many people who teach in whatever format you call it, you teach in your church, you teach in your boardroom, you teach in a, in a school, you teach your team, you have a staff or people that report to you, you teach in your local small group at church. Um, anytime you have that place and responsibility of teaching, my belief is that you have this incredible privilege to shape a life. And so for me, when I would walk into the classroom with a bunch of six-year-olds, and I still do it today, I still do a little bit of substitute teaching in my kids' school, um, which is awesome because I get to teach and I get to spy on them. Um, but, um, but, you know, I still walk into that room and I say to myself, I have an opportunity, whether it's one lesson or one day to influence this life. And this, this moment has been entrusted to me. So I jolly well better be a good steward of it. And it's the same when I walk in to a webinar room, you know, which looks like my little green dot on my computer for uh, training these leaders globally for Propel Women. I'm looking at that green dot and I'm saying to myself, I have this opportunity to shape and influence these lives. I better do a good job of it. And so for me, I've taken, I suppose, inspired by the passion and zeal of my own mum in the education space. And I, I've taken that into my own education space and into all the, the spheres where I find myself having this opportunity to lead and influence. So, um, I think that's the first the first thing is that the second thing would be this and that is you I remember being at university and one of my lecturers when I was studying to be a teacher one of my lecturers said to me you know what Megan what you need to do actually he said it to the class me and a group of students you know we were just out of high school and he said what you need to do is leave your personality at the door and you need to go into the classroom and just be like kind of like a blank a blank piece of paper and just just 
be the teacher. And he literally said those words, leave your personality at the door. And I remember in that moment thinking that was that was a bit weird because as I had reflected on my own teachers, some of the things I loved most about my teachers was their personality right. and was their quirks. And in fact, it was who they are that actually made their teaching stick more. And so um, I, I took that and, you know, without making some kind of inner vow, I let it be a lesson. And I thought, you know what, I'm actually going to let my personality shape the way that I teach and the way that I lead and the way that I, I do what I, I do in all the spheres that I do it. And I think it's been a great gift. And I think one of the greatest gifts you can give as a leader is the gift of your authenticity. And I mentioned it earlier on um, when we were talking about um, things that I, I've been, people that I've been learning from. And I it really is something that it characterizes much of what I do. Like I am a girly girl. I am goal oriented. I am, I have OCD tendencies. My husband says that if he sits still long enough, he gets labeled and put away. Um, (laughs) This is is who I am. He'll be like, where's that pen that I was using? And I'm like, well, you left it on the counter. I put it away. And he's like, but I was using it. I'm like, well, you know what? So, um, but, but instead of, me trying to fix all of those things about myself, I've just let, I've just embraced it, you know? So whether I'm in the classroom, whether I'm in the boardroom, I've recently written a, a TV uh, show on sustainability for the ABC. So I'm in that space. It's a totally different world being in media and being in TV and writing and, and how I just ask myself, what is my best contribution and am I bringing my true authentic self to this place? And um, they're two big things that I've learned thanks to my education background. Well, I love that just because, you know, we would, we would talk about um, how to, how to make leadership development or how to make training move from how to shift it from being a transactional, you know, experience or relationship to a transformational experience. And so I do think a big part of that is the personality. It is the person. I mean, people usually grow into spiritual maturity or they usually, you know, grow in competency in the context of some type of relationship. Yeah, that's right. One of my friends says, um, one of my friends says, um, people come for content but they stay for character. And, you know, it's, it applies initially into, you know, your, the reach that you're trying to have, whether you're building a business or whether you're, you know, you're in the information space. But people come for content because of what you say. And But the reason they will stay and the reason they will do journey with you as a leader is because of who you are. So good. So good. Mm. All right. Let's move to our uh, second question, and we may not we may move through these faster because we've spent okay. a lot of time in the first one. Um, but um, okay, so what's your main point of emphasis uh, right now in your leadership? Okay, so I've got two things going on. One is I've just read a book called The One Thing 
uh, one, haha, the one thing, um, by um, Gary Keller. And he is, uh, he started life in the real estate space. And uh, he's now, I suppose, moved into the motivational space. But he's written this book called The One Thing. And I love the byline of the book. It's the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. And um, I read this book and it has impacted me deeply. And basically, without um, spoiling anything, he asks this question and he says that this is the question that everybody needs to ask. And he says, what's the one thing that I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? And he just keeps reminding you throughout this whole book that sometimes we do lots of other things that are maybe on the important list, but they're not the most important thing. And so since I've read that book, I found myself asking myself this question. Okay, right now I've got this hour. What's the one thing I can be doing right now such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary? And the answer to this question changes throughout the day. You know, I said before, I've got small children. Um, so when I pick them up from school, the one thing that I'm going to be doing then is giving them the gift of my full attention and giving them the gift of my full presence and my full focus on them. Um, but when I get up early in the morning and my kids aren't awake yet, my one thing looks totally different. My one thing looks like pulling out my Bible, pulling out my journal, spending time with God, and then moving into some of the other really important stuff, but maybe not urgent stuff. Here I am like Joe Duncan before 5 a.m. talking now, um, I mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, so so for me, I have really embraced and hopefully applied what I've learned from his book about the one thing and actually saying, well, what, what is it that I, I need to be doing right now? I think the other thing that I'm working on, and I suppose I've I feel like I've worked on this my whole life, and that is the ability to, working on my ability to wear so many different hats. And this uh, was exemplified for me a few weeks ago where I was teaching, I was doing a substitute teaching day at my kids' school with a bunch of grade one students. So they were all uh, six-year-olds. And, yep. you know, if you've ever met a six-year-old, they're full of energy, they're full of questions, they're full of requests. And um, my school had asked me to come in. Can you come in and do this this day for us, which I do for fun, actually. I absolutely love it. And I said, look, I can, but I've got a webinar in the middle of the day, so I'm going to need to pop out for about two hours right in the middle of the day. And they were like, that's fine, you know, and they worked it out. So I walked out of my classroom with 25 six-year-olds, and I remember walking to my car going, okay, I've got to switch gears now because I'm going home to do a leadership webinar for 5,000 leaders in 68 nations who don't know anything about teaching six-year-olds. <laughs> and I literally, I'm driving home going, I actually have to change gears now and, and move into a different space. Uh, and the reverse happened when I finished the webinar and said goodbye to everyone and went back to school. So for me, I, for me, as my, in terms of my own, what I'm working on and what I'm focusing on, it's something I feel like I'm always working on. You know, how do I go from uh, doing this to doing that to doing this? And I think some people 
say, well, you know, compartmentalize everything out. That just doesn't work for me because when I'm teaching, I'm still a mum. And when I'm mum, I can't turn the teacher off, you know. And when I'm in a leadership space working with the Propel team, I'm still a mum and I'm still a teacher and I'm still a leader and I'm still OCD and all of that. So I am just learning to continue to embrace all of the hats that I wear and the different responsibilities that I have. And mostly it's fun and mostly it's an adventure. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that the listeners of this podcast already are very well familiar with, uh, the soapbox I'm about to pull out right now, which is, um, is how detrimental compartmentalization is to your life and ministry. Right. I, I just feel like way too many people that, um, I've known have fallen out of ministry because they lived a compartmentalized life and it's not... Mm-hmm. I don't think it's healthy. And frankly, you know, it goes back to that authenticity thing that you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. I can be my authentic self in these, all, all of these situations. And it behooves me to do that for multiple mm-hmm. reasons. One, it's, it's healthier. And two, I do think that authenticity is going to have a better result. I mean, that, that personal connection, we all know that, you know, as, as, um, anybody who gets up in front of a group um, to preach or do whatever, the power of a personal story is absolutely amazing. And one of the reasons it's so amazing and one of the reasons why we use it so often is it has a result. And so I think the same holds true when you're up in front of a group and you, you are who you are. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Christine, as you mentioned earlier, has such a, an amazing charisma and spirit about her is because Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if she's on stage or, you know, you're in a coffee shop in Nashville. She's just as liable to get really fired up about something. And, and, um, it sounds like you could just, can we just press record and, you know, put this on a stage somewhere because it would be, it would be absolutely amazing. Um, people who are who they are, who they are, uh, they're, they're just, they're just special. And I want to encourage people that, um, you know, we want to be careful, a little careful, not being, when I say authentic, authentic, I don't mean, you know, we need to hang everything out for everybody, but we want to be careful about some things, but man, I just think, um, you're just hitting, uh, you're hitting on some things that I've been thinking about and wrestling with a lot lately. So greatly appreciate that. Oh, it's awesome. And I think, you know, just that that piece there about the wisdom piece with authenticity, you know, um, that you don't, like you said, you don't overshare. And there are a bunch of things that should never be put on Facebook and should never be put on Instagram um, and should never be shared because it's stuff that you're working through. So it is this authenticity piece with a layer of wisdom and certainly as a leader with a layer of wisdom over the, the, the people and the spaces in which you share some of the other stuff that's going on that's not really for Facebook to read about Um, and having that authentic piece. And, look, you can't can't separate who you are from how you lead and nor should you. It should be part of what you do and where you're going. And, of course, we're always developing our character. I'm not talking about character weaknesses here. I'm I'm talking about the way that God has designed you and and wired you to be. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but authentic people are incredibly attractive. 
There's something yes. about them that you're like, you know what, you're okay with who you are. You're on a journey. Of course, you're still learning and growing and developing, or you should be. Um, and But there's just something inherently attractive about a person who has accepted and embraced who they are, who they really are. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask our third question now with caveats. Okay. Go. <laughs> I'm ready. It is, is, uh, I usually say, hey, what are one or two things that you do, uh, you have to do daily uh, in order to stay sharp as a leader other than read your Bible? Uh, and I'm going to say <laughs> other than read your Bible or get up at five or before. Um, <laughs> so what's and, and I'm going to limit you to one so we make sure we have time for the other two. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, I've got two, but the, the, the top one is to have my first early morning, uh, it's probably not before 5am. So that's okay. I'm not breaking the rules. Um, every morning, my husband and I have a coffee this morning. It was about five past six. He'd already been out to the gym and had come home. I'd already been up and we have a ritual, a good, healthy, discipline, ritual, routine, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we actually have a coffee together every morning in our home office. We've got these r- really nice, like big, soft rug, two white leather lounges with like a little spray of perfectly matched cushions <laughs> on the top. Um, and, you know, I don't know how men feel about cushions. My husband says that he, any space I've got, I like to put more cushions on it, more pillows on the bed, you know, all these decorative things. He's like, I right. just want to sleep man. But, um, and we sit every morning and we have a coffee and we talk and we connect. And it's only something we've been doing probably maybe the last five or six years where we've been really, really disciplined about doing it. And honestly, in the, on the occasional morning where it doesn't happen, we both really notice it. And in fact, this morning it was about 6.30 and um, we'd finished having our coffee and Rose like, this was the best part of my day. And I said, me too. And so, so for us, that has been really, really important and certainly um, making sure with the lives that, that we lead and with the various responsibilities that we have. And, you know, for us, every day and week looks quite different. Um, having that steadfast time in the morning with each other has been crucial and I highly recommend it for you if you are married and you do that each day. Good, good. All right. Fourth question is um hmm, what would you tell no no no, that's the last question i'm blanking on the fourth question how am i, I know what it is question? i know what it is oh what, what does leadership in your home look home. like yes you've you've <laughs> mentioned your home so much that i'm like and i was waiting for this question earlier because when you were talking about um if rowan sits still long enough <laughs> that you'll label him. I thought I've sat next to him at a formal dinner where we were supposed to be good boys. I can't imagine him sitting still <laughs> ever long enough where uh, where he would ever get labeled. So tell us what leadership in your your home looks like. You you've talked about your um, yeah. you've talked about this some already. I think. Yeah, I have. Look, um, in thinking about these questions, because I'm familiar with your podcast and I knew this question was coming, I came up with three words. So I'm just going to put my little teacher hat on just for a moment. Here's my three words of what leadership in your home looks like. Number one, it looks like responsibility. And one of the phrases we have in our family is we have a phrase that's called serve the family. We don't have chore lists. We don't give pocket money for chores or anything like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but 
but in terms of our philosophy, we have used, coined a phrase and we use it daily now um, of serving the family and we're trying to train our kids and so far it's going pretty good for them to look around and ask the question, how can I serve the family right now? And um, they do it when they come home from school, they have their responsibilities of looking after their stuff and uh, that, and the other day my son actually came to me and said, mum, how could I serve the family now? I said, you know what, you could go out and water the, the plants. I'm a new veggie gardener, so I'm a bit passionate about my carrots and my corn and things growing nicely. Um, and he's like, how can I serve the family? And then my daughter was emptying the dishwasher and various things like that. So we've really tried to incorporate that level of responsibility, you know, like we don't get paid to do jobs around the house and nor should you. This is actually right. about all of us serving the family. And that's really important when, you, you know, if Rowan or I are away or the kids have stuff on, other people then step in, you know, and we might do more than another member of the family that day. And that's okay because this is all part of serving the family. So that's the first word, responsibility. The second word is creativity. And we are trying to, with each other, to encourage Rowan and I to encourage each other in our creative ideas and in our entrepreneurial ideas. And we do a lot of stuff in the corporate space. Um, and we're doing that with our children as well. My daughter, she's eight. A year ago, she launched her first business. Uh, she asked us, mum, dad, why do I have to wait till an adult, till I'm an adult to change the world? And we were like, that is an excellent question. And so she she launched her first business when she was seven and within a couple of months she'd sold enough hair accessories packs for schoolgirls to put a clean water well in Cambodia and that was her first goal, I was going to say, but her first milestone. Her second goal was then to fund children's education and so far she has funded 31 children's education, providing their teacher, their school, their books, their pencils, all of that kind of thing wow. um, in a developing nation not too far from us. So, and that's all under the umbrella of what we've called the Zariah Project, which is her name. And so leadership for us has been, well, how do we lead each other and how do we lead our children? How do we leave the, lead the generation that's coming up after them? And so that's been an expression of that. And the third one, is flexibility. So responsibility, creativity, res flexibility. And for us with our lives, with, like I said before, our weeks looking different, we've learned to be flexible and, um, you know, to think of priorities as more like elast an elastic band that gets held in tension. And sometimes it's pulled heavily over on one side where, you know, Rowan might be away. And so I've got more responsibility um, around the home. And so I need to be flexible with that. But in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be in the States for two weeks. And so Rowan will be here. And so he's, the, the, the tension of priorities for him will be pulled over in that direction towards the family. So we've just learned to be flexible and to go, well, it's not perfect as much as I would love every day to be perfect. Believe me, um, it's not the way it is. And so we've tried to lead in, in our own lives and lead ourselves, which I think is important, um, but then to lead each other and to lead our family in that way. So responsibility, creativity, flexibility. Oh, I love that. I love those a lot. And um, man, the dredge home, it just sounds like y'all hustle. <laughs> I like it. Hustle in the best sense of the word. Hustle the and hopefully balanced with rest, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, before we started the podcast, you showed me some book on sleep and I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Ariana Huffington, The Sleep Revolution. I highly recommend it. She describes herself as a sleep evangelist. Oh, dear. And 
Yeah, she. it is amazing. And for someone as successful as her and someone who is as motivated um, and as passionate as her, for her to put a whole book out about sleep, yeah, put it on your list. It's amazing. I just uh, – I got back five days ago from um, – I did a pipeline in India and some other things. And yeah. I'm – I'm on my own sleep revolution right now. <laughs> I'm trying to get it. Um, all right, let's go to uh, let's go to our last question, and that is, okay. what would you tell your 20 year old self about uh, preparing to lead? Look, I feel like I've, because I know me, I feel like I've answered this already, but I would definitely tell my 20 year old self, your leadership, firstly, your leadership looks like you. And there are people we can learn from and there are people that that inspire us. And of course, we should be growing and developing. Um, and your leadership looks like you and that that authenticity, authenticity piece. Um, the second thing I would tell my 20 year old self is that your leadership uh spans across contexts. It spans across spheres. It spans across situations. And I've talked to a few different things that, that I do in my day to week to month life. Um, I think when I was 20, I, I probably thought leadership was far more narrow than what it actually is. And um, sometimes I think particularly women hear this word lead and they think, oh my gosh, you know, lead with a capital L. No, we're, we're told to be salt and light. And I don't know about you. I've already mentioned having a coffee with two salt. If you turn a light on in a dark room, it doesn't just light up the corner. It actually dispels the darkness in the room. And that's that's what we're told to be. Jesus said in Matthew 28, be go into all the world and make disciples. So we're, we're called to be a follower of Jesus and we're called to make disciples. If I'm making a disciple, I'm therefore influencing one person. So therefore I'm a leader. So I think to understand that leadership looks it's so different and expands across so many different ways and it doesn't have to be the only um, model that you have and to realise that to be a leader is to to be an influencer and that is actually the mandate that God has given us to do. We are cleverly hidden as a lawyer, as a professional, as a parent, as a grandparent, whatever it is, as a student, whatever it is that we're doing and we're actually being a disciple maker of Jesus. And so therefore we're having a leadership influence. Oh, so good. Well, thank you for spending time with me today. Uh, if you swing through Nashville, we would love to, we'd love to have you at Lifeway. Yeah. So good. That'll be awesome. I'll put it on the plan. Hey, on the plan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, Thanks for listening for those listeners that are uh, tuned in and please pop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating. Or-